Hey, it's Andrew, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Did you know that you can subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast on Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or wherever you get your podcasts to have new episodes delivered to your feed twice a week on Wednesday and Friday? All you have to do is pick up your phone, navigate to your podcast app, and search for Door County or Door County Pulse podcast and click subscribe. If you're a longtime listener or if this is your first episode, we hope you enjoy the Door County Pulse podcast. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast, where each week we talk with the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about the stories you can find in this week's issue. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for the Peninsula Pulse. How's it going, Miles? Going good, Andrew. Good. Uh, we have a, a couple of quick things to get through this week, uh, trying something a little bit different. Uh, we've been we've been producing more digestible content, so trying to hit that 30-minute mark, make it easier for your commute to get the whole podcast in. So we're just going to cover the news this week. Uh, I think we can start it off. One of the bigger stories this week, uh, Shartner's, the barn at Shartner's burned down. Yeah, so Shartner's Farm Market south of Egg Harbor, um, not quite to Carlsville. It's been there my whole life, been one of my favorite little farm markets to stop at. Um, fortunately, the farm market itself did not get destroyed in this fire. There was a barn behind it, though, that um, we have a lot of pictures on DoorCountyPulse.com. Uh, just a raging fire engulfed the barn, totally destroyed that, caused some damage to neighboring outbuildings, and maybe I, I was told like a little bit of heat damage to the, the homestead there. But um, pretty much every department in the county, all of the northern door departments, and then most of the southern door departments had to be called on site. I was listening to the scanner as this was going on. It, it did sound pretty wild and pretty quickly progressed from, okay, we have a fire here, to trucks getting on scene and saying, we need mutual aid. And mutual aid is what the, uh, the Door County Fire Departments, none of these departments are, are super large departments capable of taking on a massive fire on their own. So just like with the shipwreck fire a couple of years ago, you call in all the neighboring departments and they all respond and bring the different um, trucks. Because not every department up here is equipped with the same ladder trucks and the same equipment. So certain departments have certain pieces of equipment that are really helpful in these instances. Right. So, yeah, very rapidly um, became a much bigger fire. And that wasn't the only fire <clears throat> that happened this week, was it? No. So as some of these departments were responding to the Shartner's fire, they ended up having to get diverted, I believe, to another fire down in Southern Door. So as the Brussels Union Gardner Department was getting called to come up to Egg Harbor, they ended up having another fire down on New Settlement Road on the very southern edge of the county that they had to respond to. Earlier in the day, there was another um, a much smaller fire in Northern Door County. So the fire departments across the county were very busy yesterday afternoon and evening. Right. And I'm not sure, like, why... I mean, it's just totally random that all these happen at the same time. Mm. Well, celebrity deaths come in threes. Yes. Maybe fires do as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe there's something to, you know, something to do with the, the thaw and, and people trying to open open up after having, like, buildings shut down. Maybe total random speculation on my part. But I remember when Shipwrecked had their fire uh, two summers ago, that same day there was a major accident in Ephraim, and I believe there was also a search for a missing kayaker going on at that time. So you had, like, three major emergency response things going on. And, and sometimes with, you know, our fire departments or our emergency responders or our ambulance service, it can seem superfluous, maybe 90% of the time. Maybe it seems like we, we spend too much money or have too many people 
but it's those that one time when multiple things happen at once that you need all of them. Right. Like when shipwreck burned, they actually had to call Green Bay Fire Departments in, mm-hmm. and that's one major fire required all of the um, all of the departments in the county, several in Kiwani and Brown County, and then many of those firefighters had to be treated for um, either injuries or smoke inhalation, and on the and so a lot of the fire. A lot of the ambulances were running firemen back and forth to the hospital to to keep the firemen healthy. So it's it doesn't take a lot of emergencies to totally tap the the system up here. Right. And when shipwreck burned down, wasn't that around like in the same week as the fire on Washington Island with the the deli up there? I'd have to double check. Uh, but yeah, it was it was around the same time that the uh, Danish mill on Washington Island burned, and then yeah, shipwrecked there. Shipwreck was definitely in August. Uh, I definitely remember that because I was over there um, on the scene that day. It was really kind of stunning because it that that was again one of those fires that it looked a couple times throughout the day like they had it pretty well contained, and then it was just going to be like okay, maybe it damaged a part, maybe they can save some of this building. But then, especially with those older buildings, they're they're not designed in the same. A lot of the measures that we'd put in now into a building to make it fireproof, or if not fireproof, to um, slow down fires from spreading an old building like the old shipwreck building didn't have that so that thing just would seep into the floors and they they didn't know where it was spreading and it would just engulf another room before you knew it so well and speaking of washington island their fire department just loaned their reservoir or something to the madeline island fire department yeah so they've lent some equipment to madeline island because in on madeline island the actual fire department burned so they lost all of their equipment so Washington Island has uh, put some on loan up there. And that's a whole other step. Like when the Danish mill burned down, then you had, you know, technically the Northern Door communities have mutual aid available for Washington Island, but you can't very rapidly respond with a truck up there. So there was, in that case, you had certain fire um, personnel that took their own fire boats over there and just just to get the personnel there. But you really can't supplement the equipment. Right. There. Well, and, and it's kind of landmark too. This 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 joint thing that they're doing and trying to help because the the distance number one is so long that to to send that equipment over is 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 a challenge and, and a really cool thing. But also, Washington Island has been working with Madeline Island to kind of shore up and and get things moving for the future too. Because Washington Island has a lot of experience in this, and Madeline Island is in kind of a similar situation. So right. the two of them working together is actually a really cool thing. Yeah. So last week we talked a little bit about the county uh, deciding whether or not they can continue aid for the door-to-door transit system down in Sturgeon Bay. Jim Lundstrom wrote something about it this week. Uh, what's what's the new, what's the next step in that? Uh, so Joel Krebsock um, gave a presentation to the county board. Um, he o- oversees the county human services department, which also oversees door-to-door public transit. Um, that service is in a, a major budget bind right now. I believe they're going to the county board asking for about 170,000. Well, they they weren't necessarily asking for that. They were they're 170,000 short. So they're talking to the county board about like what what should we do? Should we curtail services and just have a, a much more much smaller version of this? Do we cut the program? Do we try and hire some management firm and go out and fundraise or find money or find other grants available for this? Um, it's a tough it's a tough question that I'm guessing a lot of the county board members don't want to have to answer because it, it is a service that really helps a, a part of the population that, A, is growing in Door County and really needs something like this. So 
Door-to-door is a, a kind of a, a shared ride service that allows people who don't have vehicles to get to doctor's appointments, get to work, things like that, uh, visit family. But you have to call and reserve a ride much in advance. Like I think it's 24 hours in advance. Right. Unlike, say, like an Uber or a taxi where you can hail it in the moment. So it's a really specific kind of service. does it at low to no cost for most people. And just running down some of the numbers to give some perspective, only 13% of riders pay the full price. 82% of the riders are in the Sturgeon Bay area. And most of these riders are disabled. 50% are disabled in some measure. And another 22% are 60 or older. So you're looking at 70% of these users um, are, are some of our most vulnerable population who really need this help. And so that's why you saw a lot of people show up at this meeting to speak in favor of saving door-to-door, uh, including Amy Conley from United Way and other leaders of organizations um, that, help, that help this population. So they're looking at either reducing hours significantly, possibly cutting off some of the service to Northern Door, which is a much smaller chunk of the user base but has very large distances to cover, and then I think there's some talk of going to the city of Sturgeon Bay and asking them to kick in more money for it since most of the users are in Sturgeon Bay. I doubt that, just covering Sturgeon Bay politics, I doubt that gets much of a reception because Sturgeon Bay is um, very tight with their money and doesn't have a lot to go around. And they already have a big $3 million budget number to come up with in 2020 that they got to cover because of the TID being behind on the West Waterfront. So a lot of questions for door-to-door public transit. Right. And it's one of those things that I feel like uh, people can be ignorant about if they don't understand why it's why it's used the way that it is or what it's actually used for. Because I know it's easy for me to think like, oh, it's just a taxi service. It gets people home from the bar or stuff like that. But in reality, and yeah, yeah that's not part of what it does at all. Right. And so but you that's it's an, it's an easy thing to think when you don't really understand what it is that they're doing. And there's a lot of things up here in Door County because of our aged population that that have wider and more important uh, use cases than I think we actually think about a lot of times. And this would be one of them. Yeah. I mean, one thing is, as my parents have aged um, into the into their 70s. It's opened my eyes a lot to a lot of the challenges people in a different population are facing different problems, where where the county comes up short and why certain services are really, really necessary. You know, my parents, fortunately, they're both still alive and they can take care of each other. But if it was one or the other, you'd have a much different um, paradigm to look at. You, you know, right now, they don't use anything like door-to-door, but, the, you know, if something ever happened, you could very easily see that becoming a, an integral part of their day-to-day life and getting the services they need. And I'm sure there are a ton of families out there that, that when they when they hear that, like for me, door-to-door, I recognize the policy implications of it, and I, I recognize the user base, but it's not personal to me. But I'm sure there are a ton of people in this county that when they hear that door-to-door might close, it, it makes from a, either personally it hits them a lot or from a caregiver standpoint or potentially having to be more of a caregiver standpoint, that really could change what life is like up here for you. Right. And there aren't other options. There's not a bus service. There's not a, a really consistent cab or, or ride hailing service that you could use to replace that. So another thing that came out of that county board meeting was uh, treatment court. Yeah. So there's um, uh, David Weber, one of the judges in Door County, gave a presentation about treatment courts. And what a treatment court is, is sort of like a, an alternative court for people who are repeat offenders who have substance abuse issues. 
and that are the root of why they are in that in court in the first place. And, you know, most people, if you live here long enough, you've seen the reports or you've seen the police report, you know, people who have multiple DUIs or who are just constantly cycled through the system with um, drug related issues or alcohol related issues. Right now, if you're a judge, our traditional approach to these cases has always been throw you in jail. Well, it's good for punishment and it's good for the short term of, and this is something Weber said, it's, like, it's good for the short term. Okay, they're in jail for three months. They can't get a, they can't go drunk driving. They can't um, abuse a spouse. They can't abuse drugs while they're in jail. But they get out, like my impression years ago used to be like, oh yeah, if somebody's got that, they obviously get treatment once they're in jail. They, they go to an AA program, they go to this. That's not the case at all. Right. Well, and to back up a little bit too, that putting somebody in jail for like a DUI or something, that the punishment there would be like, jail is going to teach you that what you did was wrong and you shouldn't do that again. Right. But it, it's, it's more complicated than that because the underlying issue isn't a behavioral thing. It's, a, it's an addiction thing or a chemical imbalance. Right. And, and clearly it doesn't work because most judges will tell you like a lot of my day is seeing the same people again and again and giving them the same, some version of the same punishment, like a little stiffer each time. So judges, years ago I talked to Judge Diltz and uh, Judge Ehlers about this. They were very much in favor of, of having more options. And, you know, because they don't want to keep doing the same thing and getting the same bad result. And I think there's more and more of a push toward this. Uh, I know the new sheriff is in favor of this. I talked to Sheriff Terry Vogel when he was in office. And to put it bluntly, he just he didn't seem to have any interest in it. He's, he said, my job is to enforce the laws and arrest people. And then the court gives them punishment. He really didn't have a take on alternative um, ways of dealing with the problem. Um, but it, it, you need people like the sheriffs speaking up for these different punishments to, to kind of show that like, yeah, we don't want to keep doing it this way either. And so the new sheriff, uh, is, is very much in Camry Sternard is very much of, of that ilk. She's spoken up and, and reached out for grants for this sort of thing. So might have some progress on that front and hopefully, you know, get people more of the help they need. You know, it's not perfect. Like anybody who's dealt with somebody with addiction. You don't go, okay, now we got you treatment, you're, you're fine. You, you're still going to have some cycle of this, but at least you're trying to treat the root problem and not just punish. Right, and, and addiction treatment is a lifelong process. I right. mean, even, even you're never fully recovered. You're in recovery for the rest of your life. Correct. And, and I, I think that that's one of the, the big takeaways for something like this is that instead of keeping the cycle going and keep, keeping people buried underneath this kind of thing, it's treating the root causes of these and, and seeing if that has the effect that you're going for. Yeah. So we'll see where this goes. Uh, and lastly, this week on April 2nd, the election is coming up. So what do we have gearing up for that? Uh, yeah. So we have a bunch of candidate profiles in this week's issue of The Pulse. And included in that is the candidates for the four Sturgeon Bay City Council seats that are up for election. Um, that's probably the big one that we'll be watching that has probably the largest implications in a tangible sense for people because there are there's kind of four candidates that are running as a block in this election to try and I mean I don't they probably would say that there's not like a side but I would say they're kind of in the anti-granary camp if you will so if that block were to win you might see a totally different take on a lot of policy questions in Sturgeon Bay funding questions uh, the west waterfront questions 
Um, so you might see another reversal there. And we've talked about it so many times. Like, I, don't e I wouldn't even be able to tell you how many times it's kind of like went one way than the other and the one way than the other, but a lot of back and forth. And the, if, if that council flipped again, then you'd have more of that. And then also the mayor's race between Sean Fairchild, um, somebody who's been very actively involved in the efforts to save the granary, and then David Ward, who has been you know, has kind of voted against the granary at every every turn as well. So now you have a pretty big dichotomy there. Uh, I would guess if I were hedging it, I would say like Ward definitely has more of a name recognition. He's more of your traditional Sturgeon Bay politician. And but Fairchild has a lot of support as well. Um, as we've seen the last couple of the elections, the 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 pro youth, pro granary, pro uh um, open waterfront folks have overwhelmingly flipped the tables on like the Sturgeon Bay Council in the last couple of years and almost defeated Mayor Birmingham a few years ago. So you can't underestimate the how many people are actually on that side of the fence as well. So major implications for the city of Sturgeon Bay. And I think major implications for where economic development goes because the two mayors have pretty differing approaches to economic development. Ward is a very pro-industrial park guy. Fairchild is a very pro-focus on the downtown core, Third Avenue, and tourism being the future of the city guy. So a lot at stake in Sturgeon Bay. Well, I think that that just about does it for us this week, Miles. Thank you so much for chatting with me, and I look forward to seeing you again soon. All right. Thank you, Andrew. These stories and more will be available in this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse, available throughout Door County. For more headlines, visit doorcountypulse.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast for your weekly Pulse picks, interviews, and exclusive content from the Peninsula Pulse. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.